Good evening. Uh, welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible study here at Calvary Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Stephen, the teaching pastor of our local uh, assembly. Uh, we are a Reformed Confessional Baptist Church. Uh, we are located in North Central Kansas, uh, 30 minutes below the Nebraska-Kansas line. And we are grateful that you join us. We are grateful that you have subscribed to our podcast, uh, to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can find us on uh, Spotify, Apple, um, Apple Podcast, as well as anchor.fm.com. Uh, we are all live there as well. Uh, so whatever device and whatever search uh, function and um, you found us, we are grateful that you are present with us. Uh, today, we will begin our study of First Timothy. We will uh, discuss uh, an introduction to the book, uh, and then we will uh, address chapter 1, verses 1 through uh, 11. Earlier in the week, I sent out my congregation uh, a series of questions in order for them to be prepared for our um, Bible study. The four questions I asked them concerning our study of 1 Timothy is, uh, what internal evidence is there in this letter that points to Paul being the author? That's the first question I asked them. What internal evidence is there in the letter that points to Paul being the author? And I've asked them to read all six chapters of uh, Timothy, of 1 Timothy, in order to answer these questions. Uh, I know that those that you are joining me on the podcast are unable to have these questions, so you are unable to read the entire book. If you would like to pause the podcast and read the entire letter to Timothy, uh, the six chapters, it'll take you about 15 minutes. And the four questions are, what internal evidence is there uh, in this letter that points to Paul being the author? Uh, another question that we will uh, address is what doctrines are discussed in the letter? Uh, is there any internal evidence of a composition date given in the letter? Meaning, is, is there any clues to when Paul wrote the book inside 1 Timothy? And uh, who is Timothy and what his relationship to Paul? Those are the four questions. What evidence is in the book that Paul wrote it? What is Paul's relationship like with Timothy and who is Timothy? Um, what doctrines are being discussed? And is there any evidence from the letter of when the book was written? And we're going to answer those four questions. Okay. Is there any internal evidence in 1 Timothy that points to Paul being the author? And the answer is obviously yes. Uh, verse 1, the book opens with a greeting, and the greeting contains Paul's name. Paul says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Jesus Christ our hope. In every single letter that is attributed to Paul in the New Testament, this type of greeting is given from him. And it's a standard greeting. Uh, he introduces himself uh, 
with some biographical information about himself. For instance, he calls himself an apostle. He says, I've been called by God. Um, and so in every single letter that Paul has written, and that's attributed to Paul, the greeting is the same. Hi, I'm Paul. Uh, I, I serve the church in this manner. And then he says something like grace and peace be to you. Paul loves, and I don't mean this in a prideful way, uh, he takes great honor to refer, uh, he takes great honor in referring to his apostleship and calling from God in each of his letters, right? He, he takes great honor in being an apostle and he attributes that uh, honor to God calling him. He always says, if it wasn't for God calling me, I wouldn't be an apostle. And if you go back and read Acts chapter 9, you can see the calling from Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. He saw a blinding light from heaven. Out of that blinding light from heaven, the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ called to him. Paul walks into Damascus. He, he waits for Ananias to come and baptize him. Once Ananias baptized him, uh, Paul's able to see and Ananias tells Paul that Jesus Christ is commissioning him to be his apostle, to suffer, and to preach the gospel. So yeah, Paul's right, where he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and through the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. Yeah, he's right. That's what happened. He also includes a gesture of God's goodwill to the recipient of his letter. In this instance, he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 3, the apostle mentions both Macedonia and Ephesus as two places that he has experienced. Uh, he says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Has Paul been to Macedonia and Ephesus? He has. Uh, in Acts chapter 16 and 17, the apostle uh, goes to Philippi and Thessalonica, which are two cities in the region of Macedonia. Uh, in Acts chapters 19 and 20, uh, Luke places the apostle Paul in Ephesus. So not only is there internal evidence that Paul's the author because he he says he is, but also the two cities that the author says he has been to and that he's going to again, Paul has in the book of Acts, in the narrative of Paul's life, Paul has visited those areas several times and spent several years in those areas. So there is internal evidence that suggests Paul is the author of this letter. And there's one last thing that we need to look at, which is typical uh, Pauline authorship. The end of the letter is a sort of a final instruction, um, praise to God, uh, one last charge to the recipient. This is um, common in all of Paul's letters. In verse 20 of chapter 6, Paul says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. 
avoid the irreverent babble and contradiction of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. So this is a typical Paul letter. Greeting the same, he enlists his calling, he gives the a same kind of gesture of goodwill, he mentions something uh, personal about his life, such as going to the land of Macedonia and Ephesus, and the end where he gives a final charge and a, a final warning to the recipient, he does that as well to Timothy. The second question, who is Timothy and what is his relationship to Paul? Again, we just want to answer this question from the information from 1 Timothy. Uh, the Bible talks a lot in the New Testament about Timothy and about his relationship to Paul. But what in particular from 1 Timothy can we gather from uh, about the relationship Paul had with Timothy? Well, in verse 2 of chapter 1, Paul calls him a true son in the faith. He obviously a travel and ministry partner of Paul. Uh, in verse 3 and verses 18 through 20 of chapter 1, Paul entrusts uh, and, and the gospel to Timothy. So Timothy is an entrusted evangelist by Paul. But that's all that we have. Now, if you add in the other places of scripture, such as 2 Timothy and the book of Acts and Paul mentioning Timothy's name in the other letters, you can gain a lot more understanding about their relationship. Uh, you know that the Apostle Paul knew Timothy's mother and grandmother. Timothy received knowledge and understanding of the Christian faith from his mother and grandmother. They often shared the gospel with him when he was a young man. Uh, you find out in the book of Acts and 2 Timothy that Timothy's mother's a Jew, but his father's a Greek. Um, Timothy's a young man. He's not an older gentleman. He's a young man, probably late teens, early 20s, when the Apostle Paul meets him. He becomes a ministry partner of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he is responsible for starting several churches in the city of Ephesus. So that's the information that we can gather about Timothy outside of 1 Timothy. But since we're studying 1 Timothy, what information from this letter can we gain about Timothy and Paul's relationship? It was, spiritually speaking, father-son. And Paul trusted Timothy to stay in an area by himself to start churches, to build churches, and to spread the gospel. That's, that's trusting someone. That's having a great familiarity with someone and knowing that they are going to do the will of God, that they're not going to shipwreck what you planted, what you started, but they're going to be faithful. They're going to be strong and bold. They're going to be courageous. Uh, they're going to they're going to be righteous. Right? They they know the word. Uh, Paul is confident. Timothy knows the word of God. Uh, he's confident that Timothy will uh, will not give in to under pressure. Uh, that he will remain faithful. And so there's a big time relationship of faith and trust and even confidence in his ability that Paul has for Timothy.
Third question, is there any internal evidence of a composition date? Does Paul mention anything? Does he give any clues as to when this letter was written? And I believe that he does. In chapter one, verse three, Paul was heading to Macedonia, but he commands Timothy to remain in Ephesus. Is there any point in Paul's ministry when he went to Macedonia but left Timothy in Ephesus? There is. In Acts chapter 19, verse 1, the scripture says, Paul arrives in Ephesus. The scripture says, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So in Acts chapter 19, Paul comes to Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, verse 22, Paul stays in Ephesus, but he sends two of his helpers into Macedonia. And those two helpers are Timothy and Erastus. So at the end of Acts 19, Paul comes to Ephesus. He stays for some time. While he's there, he sends Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia. But the question is, does, does Timothy make it back to Ephesus? And he does. In Acts chapter 20, verse 1, Luke says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, the two helpers that he sent to Macedonia, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. So in Acts chapter 19, Paul comes to Ephesus. In 19 verse 22, Paul sends Timothy, two disciples, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia. After several months in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 20, Paul then calls for Timothy and Erastus to come back to Ephesus. And once they return to Ephesus, Paul heads for Macedonia. There's the internal evidence. Therefore, if we, if you believe, and you, you have to if you're a Christian, and, and you should, 1 Timothy chapter 1 is inerrant and infallible. You have to believe that Paul wrote 1 Timothy around Acts chapter 20. That as he leaves, or after he leaves Ephesus, while he's on the way to Macedonia, Paul stops and finds the time to write a letter to Timothy and says to him, Timothy, I've left you in Ephesus, and here's a letter of what I want you to do, how I want you to do it, the faith that I have in you that you will do what I'm telling you to do. And you're going to be in a land where there's much idolatry, there's much paganism. That's what 1 Timothy is about. The whole letter is an instruction for Timothy of what he is to do while he's in Ephesus and Paul is traveling around Macedonia. Last question. What doctrines are being discussed in this letter? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, we have uh, a warning against false teachers. Uh, 
the Apostle Paul talks about counterfeit gospel and um, the true gospel. In uh, chapter 2, Paul talks about gender roles inside the church and in the home. In chapter 3, he talks about qualifications for church leadership. Uh, He mentions uh, elders and deacons. In chapter 4, he talks about servant leadership, uh, how to uh, serve inside the church, even if you're not an elder, even if you're not a deacon, how are you to uh, perform your service to God inside the church? In chapter 5, he talks about honoring widows and honoring elders. And in chapter 6, he talks about false teachers again. I mean, you can tell by the doctrines that are discussed in this letter that Paul is leaving Timothy in Ephesus to preach the gospel and to plant churches because he gives him a manual of how to do that. He gives him a manual how to confront counterfeit gospels, how to confront paganism, what the true gospel is, encourages him in that, And once you start building those churches, Timothy, Paul tells you how to build them. Elders and deacons lead the church. Uh, The uh, lay people serve faithfully. Don't forget the widows. Uh, Let the elders serve in honor, meaning is, you know, they're worthy to be paid for their service. And false teachers uh, should be Warned against, and you should guard the church against false teachers. Church is set up perfectly um, to build. To build, here's your manual, Timothy. I'm leaving you in Ephesus. Guard against false teachers. Build the church. Do the work of a successful, a successful evangelist. Now let's transition to uh, verses 1 through 11 of 1 Timothy. I mentioned earlier that this is a typical greeting from Paul. Uh, In every letter that he wrote, he has a typical greeting. It includes his name, a calling, and a gesture of goodwill. But here's something interesting about Paul's greeting to Timothy. The gesture of goodwill to Timothy, is different than any other in Paul's letter. Paul wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. Nine of those 13 are addressed to churches. Four of them are addressed to people. First, second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. 11 of the 13 letters contain the phrase in the greeting, grace and peace to you. Every one of them beginning in Romans all the way to Philemon. Paul includes the greeting, grace and peace to you. But in 1 and 2 Timothy, he adds the word mercy. That's what he adds. So in all 13 letters, Paul has the greeting. Hi, it's Paul. I'm called by God to be an apostle and he says, grace and peace to you, except in First and Second Timothy, he adds the word mercy. I don't know why. Uh, commentators don't know why Paul would do that. 
but he did. I just find that it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if it's significant, but it's definitely, to me, it's very interesting that in the letter to Timothy, in both letters, he includes grace, peace, and mercy, but whereas in the other 11 letters that he wrote in the New Testament, Paul only includes grace and peace. Something else about this greeting that uh, that I, I found interesting. Paul and Timothy are obviously familiar with one another, right? If, if you read through the book of Acts, uh, Timothy meets the apostle Paul uh, in the middle of the, the second and third missionaries. Timothy serves with Paul. He travels with him. Uh, they know each other. They know each other well. Paul doesn't have to tell him in this letter that he's an apostle. Timothy knows Paul is an apostle. But why does he include it in the letter? That's my question. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Jesus Christ our Lord to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Timothy knows he's an apostle. He spent years with him. But why would Paul include that in this letter if, since, Timothy already knows? Because his letters are meant to be read by more than just Timothy. That's the point of these letters. The Apostle Paul doesn't send letters to a a certain recipient just for them to keep it for themselves. The point was then that these letters would circulate among the churches. That Timothy would read this letter to the churches in Ephesus. That he would send this letter to the church in Colossae. Colossae would read it and copy it and then send it to Laodicea. That's the objective. And that's why the Apostle Paul includes this type of greeting. Although Timothy clearly knows that Paul is an apostle. The purpose of this letter is to be shared with more than just Timothy. And and that's how we build the canon of Scripture. Because the letter that was given to Rome, once the church in Rome received that letter, they would copy it and then mail it to other churches. They would send it by way of a messenger to other churches. I don't want to use the term mail. I mean, they didn't have stamps. They didn't have a post office, right? Remember the book of Colossi, or Colossians? The Apostle Paul tells them that once they read this letter to, to have it sent to Laodicea and vice versa, he says, I've written a letter to Laodicea and once they're done with that one, they'll send it to you. That's how the New Testament was built. That's how the canon of Scripture came about. These churches were faithful in copying these letters word for word because they were from an apostle. These letters weren't by from me. You know, I'm a nobody. But this is the Apostle Paul. And as these letters were copied by having his greeting and his calling and his name right at the front of the letter, it gives legitimacy to the letter. And it causes those who receive the letter to say, whoa, okay, this letter is important. This letter is vital for us. We must know it. We must believe it. We must obey it. 
Because this right here comes from an apostle. That's something. That's somebody. In verses 3 through 11 of the first chapter, uh, Paul talks about uh, counterfeits. In verses 12 through the rest of the chapter, he'll talk about the true gospel. But first, in verses 3 through 11, Paul's going to talk about some counterfeits, some false gospels, things that humans have invented to try to replace the true gospel. And Paul tells Timothy to warn. I'm warning you about these things. And in Ephesus, these things are big. Timothy, I just spent a few years in Ephesus. I, I know the culture. I know the climate. Be on guard. I'm leaving you in Ephesus. You need to be aware of these things. And the early church, especially in the time of the Acts of the Apostles and in the Gospel of Jesus, that first, you know, 50 years of life in the first century, there were many counterfeit gospels. Uh, Jesus and the apostles experienced many different types of religions and sects. Uh, Jesus' chief rivals, the Pharisees, they opposed the gospel. Uh, Jesus pronounced several woes upon them upon the Sadducees and the elders and the Jews because of their opposition to the gospel. During Paul's missionary trips, he encountered many opponents of the gospel. And the very people who should have embraced the gospel, the very people who should have embraced the Messiah, the Jews, they were the main opponents. But it's easy to fall into error. Even for Christians, guys, it's so easy to be led astray by false doctrine. Do you remember Peter opposing the gospel during Jesus' ministry? That story is in Matthew chapter 16. In verse 21, Jesus uh, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and that he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And Jesus says, on the third day, I will be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. so easy to find yourself opposing the will of God. And, and it's not because as Christians we really want to oppose the will of God, but this is the strength of sin. Sin is very, very powerful. Uh, the, the, the Bible talks about the strength of sin. The strength of evil, the strength of Satan, and how we have to be empowered by God to withstand the wiles of the devil. There's a reason why the Bible often describes uh, discipleship in terms of war. 
in terms of a battle. Yeah, our battle is not against our neighbor, physically him, but it's the battle against the evil forces that control him. It's the battle against the evil forces in the world that control the world and that control sin. But oftentimes in Scripture, when Scripture talks about sin and Satan and evil power and wickedness, it describes it in terms of a battle. The armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 is a perfect example of this. So the charge to Timothy from Paul is to preserve the gospel. Be aware of counterfeit gospels. Timothy is given the authority from Paul to rebuke false teachers. Not only is Timothy supposed to rebuke false teachers, but look at verse 4. Timothy is also to teach men to not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. What does Paul mean by myths and endless genealogies? Or this is a spot where knowing extra biblical material would be helpful. The city of Ephesus, where Timothy was currently at, was a hub for paganism. Even the Jews who lived in Ephesus, they participated in idolatry. They even participated in paganism. Uh, Even in his letter to Titus, in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says to him, therefore rebuke them sharply, meaning the Jews, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths, which cause people to turn away from the truth. So this Jewish myth, these myths and genealogies was a problem for the early church, such as Gnosticism was. It's a false doctrine. There's something about myths and there's something about genealogies that Paul tells both Timothy and Titus, these two church planters, as you're building these churches in these cities, you know, be careful about myths and genealogies. So what are myths and genealogies? What what does Paul mean by that? About 150 years before the birth of Christ, a group of anonymous Jews wrote a book called Jubilees. From a Jewish perspective, the book of Jubilees contained stories from Genesis and Exodus. In fact, the Jews began to call the book of Jubilees Lesser Genesis, right? Uh, the book of Genesis in the Bible, but this one's, we're going to call this one Lesser Genesis because it was a book about stories of major events from the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus. It contained, the book of Jubilees contained uh, these stories from a different perspective. For instance, The book of Jubilees contained a story about Moses and the Exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, the giving of the law, the creation of Adam, uh, the Tower of Babel, the calling of Abraham, Noah. It, It touches on every single important event in the book of Genesis and Exodus, but with a twist. What was the twist? Lies. 
book made up stories. For instance, according to the book of Jubilee, um, when God first made man, the, the book of Jubilee says the first human was part man and part woman. Yeah, that's what the book says. The, according to the book of Jubilees, which was written about two centuries before the birth of Christ um, by a group of anonymous Jews, they claim that the creation account is wrong. They say that when God created man, it was part man and part woman. And then from that one man, then came Adam and Eve, man and woman. Another different perspective in the book of Jubilees um, is the story of how Moses received the law in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapters 19 and 20. According to the book of Exodus, uh, God spoke the law to Aber, or to Moses and that he presented the law on a tablet of stone for Moses. According to the book of Jubilees, it was angels who came to visit Moses. The angels spoke directly. God was not involved. God was not present. It was angels that came down and they gave Moses the words to write on the tablet of stone. That's why Paul's warning Timothy about myths and genealogies. Because the book of Jubilees went through the roll call of people like Adam and Eve, Noah and Abraham and, and Moses. They, they, they went through the genealogy of Genesis and Exodus and basically twisted God's word into myths. And that was being spread around. By the time uh, in Ephesus, when Timothy gets there, to me, I think it's obvious that the book of Jubilees has been uh, passed around. And so the apostle warns Timothy, you have to restrain that evil. The evil uh, doctrine of, about myths and genealogies that people are believing you have to restrain that evil because it's leading people away from the truth. Take, for example, the book of Jubilees and its story of creation. Look at what it's done to the truth of God's word. According to God's word, he created Adam from the dust. Adam was a man. He was the first human and he was a man. And then from Adam, Eve was created. And since she was created from Adam, she is submissive to Adam. Her role as a function in society, in the home, and in the church is to be submissive to Adam because she came from Adam. What happens to that truth if you tell people that the first human created by God was half man, half woman. What does that do? It promotes same function. It distorts the right view of man and woman. 
And as this story is passed down through the centuries, know where you arrive at, know where you end up at. If that story is believed and passed down and is kept alive in the world, do you know what you have? You have feminism. You have egalitarianism. You, you have women are able to assume leadership positions in the church. You know why? Because functionally, men and women are equal. Look, the book of Jubilee says that the first, man, first person created by God was half man, half woman. So therefore, they're equal, not just ontologically, but they're equal in function. So whatever a man can do in the church, a woman can do too. So you have women deacons. So you have women pastors. This is why what you believe is important. It counts. Don't be indifferent to what you believe. It matters. Truth matters. It always matters. Guard your heart. Go to a church that always preaches the gospel. Yeah, you know what? The world will tell you well, that's boring. The sinful flesh will tell you that's boring. I don't want to hear about Jesus and the gospel. I had a, a meeting with a pastor today in my community. And he told me that a member of his church several months ago came to him and said, why do you always preach about the same thing? And the pastor said, what do you mean? He's like, you always preach about Jesus and the gospel. I've had former members ask me, hey, how come you always preach about sin or you preach about this? Because we have to hear it. The things that we hear, the things that are prominent in our lives is what we are more liable to more liable to believe. We're more likely to believe and to obey if it's fresh, if we hear it, if we keep being reminded about it. It guards us from falling into error. God bless the men who continually preach on sin who continually preach on repentance and faith in Jesus. Justification by faith in them. Bless those men. If you go to that church, bless your pastor today. Bless him this week. Let him know that you are grateful that you attend a church where the preaching of the gospel is prominent. I'm telling you, it, it, it guards you from falling away. It guards you from falling away. And this is the charge that Paul has given to Timothy. As you preach the gospel and you, you are confronted with heresy and, and counterfeit gospels, especially beware of missing genealogies because it's very prominent in that area. You preach the word. You preach the truth. You restrain evil and restrict evil. Do battle against evil. Be a faithful evangelist. I'm entrusting with you the gospel. Thanks for listening. Uh, next week, we'll finish chapter one. Uh, we'll move from the counterfeit gospel to the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week.